0: Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or
1: don't. That's
0: a choice you could make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Oh boy,
1: yeah. Measure for measure. We have come back for more measure for measure. Why? I don't know. Because it's a great uh, fucking
0: play. Hold your shade. Yeah, all right. I will not okay. I will not stand for that. <laughs> okay, just okay, okay am unaccountably
1: angry about that <laughs> I'm glad we're a thousand miles apart right now You would have scratched out my eyes Only 700, uh, so just like Check oh. your facts Okay, I was 70%
0: <laughs> Of that, okay, fine It's a C minus, Aubrey Welcome to
1: the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Hwemlet. And this week, it's Measure for Measure 201.
0: Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more.
1: Okay, so things are a little different for the 201 Mm. level episodes. Yeah,
0: so we operate on the assumption that you already know the play, so we don't do a synopsis or anything. If you are a newbie to Measure for Measure or you just need to refresh your memory, you can go back not too terribly far into our uh, catalog and listen to episode 40 of our podcast, Mm -hmm. which is probably in season two somewhere. Yep, um, it's definitely season two, episode number not forty, because that's not how we number the episodes in the
1: episode that titles. Is correct, um, but it's measured for it's measure like episode two or three in season. Yeah, two. Hang on, it's early season two. Hang on,
0: whatever. It's in season two. Go fucking find it. I am yep. tired and I can't be bothered to do the work for you. So if you care, uh, it's this fun scavenger hunt and. The reward will be all the greater for you have putting in the work to find it, dear listeners. (laughs) I can't. I can't. I have no brain left. It's fine. It's been a day.
1: It's okay. It's okay. So, all right. It's fine. Uh, So, for the 201 level episodes, we want to go narrow and deep on a couple topics relating to the play. Today, we are both going to be talking about recent productions we've seen of Measure for Measure and telling you about all of our very strong feelings about each of them. Boy, how But we uh yeah uh but before we dive into any of that we always revisit a rhetorical device of the week in a 201 episode too
0: yeah so in our 101 episodes we discuss definitions of rhetorical devices and we give examples but at the 201 level we revisit a device already drawn in a
1: 101 episode and we discuss the uses
0: or possible characterizations of that particular device in performance
1: Right. We say over and over again that identifying rhetoric helps us understand a character or give us a possible line reading. But what does that actually mean? So to answer that, we need to look back at the specific context in which the device is used and think about the kind of device it is. And this week, it is a bit low hanging fruit, but I too am lacking in brain cells and I wanted something fun. So this week we're revisiting Acrologia. Which is what now? Which is the use of a word which sounds similar to the proper term, but has a different meaning. It's basically a malaprop. Uh, yeah. and yes, malaprops. so. We're looking but at I mean elbow. Yes. I mean, who is more perfect in measure for measure than elbow for mm. acrologia, right? He and lean and we, upon justice, sir? He does. Um, and I mean, you know, we could have talked about acrology, I suppose, last week with uh, Dogberry. You know, we could have covered that. in Dogberry. but it's the same sort of character at either end of Shakespeare's career. Uh, and I just wanted to have a little fun with some elbow. Much ado so. and
0: Measure weren't that far apart, were they?
1: I had thought so. I thought I thought mm-hmm. me- Much Ado was on the earlier end, and
0: I mean, it it is measures on the later but, end. Uh, measure sixteen o four, and
1: Much Ado can't be earlier than fifteen ninety eight. Right, no, it's 1598. Yeah, okay, so. they're six years apart, but yeah. one's Elizabethan and one is Jacobean, Rebecca. technically. So, so Acrologia is one of the telltale signs of being an early modern buffoonish clown. Um, actually, every time I teach a clowning workshop, uh, I, I do the sort of Jeff Foxworthy thing. You remember Jeff Foxworthy, Jess? The redneck guy who was like, You might be a redneck if, and then he told a bunch of jokes. You're from Oregon. Why would you know that? Okay. Well, I grew up with a bunch of rednecks, so I know that comedian. But anyway, I, I sort of twist that around and I'm like, well, you might be a clown if your clown uses words incorrectly and is seemingly unaware of that. Like when Dogberry says, thou shalt be condemned into everlasting redemption for this. Oh no, not redemption. He means damnation. Right? So Elbow's the same kind of guy. He's one of the bigger, better clowns in Measure for Measure. And he has a lot of fun or i should say we have a lot of fun with him in act 2 scene 1 of measure for measure
0: so only and scene really, he's in, is
1: isn't it uh, he's in like two more but he doesn't do he doesn't perpetrate this problem hmm. as as badly or i don't think really at all so it seems like the purpose of these malapropisms in this particular scene are to solidify elbow as a total buffoon and an idiot um yeah, he appears uh, later in the like Pompey prison scene and stuff, but he oh, leaves almost sure, immediately. Sure. And really all he says is, come your ways, sir, come your ways. So, 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 act two, scene one, have you your text? I do, yes. Great. This is the scene where we meet Froth, the drunkard, we never meet again, uh, and Pompey. We meet Pompey the Great for mm-hmm. the We've first time We've met Pompey here. already. Have we? Yeah, he's in the second scene with Overdun. Oh, that's right, with um, Mr. Silverdunn. Bring them away. Oh, no, sir, what's your name and what's the matter? Okay, can we start there with Angelo yep. saying, Hi, hey, yep. now, sir, what's your name and what's the matter? If it please,
0: Your Honor, I am the poor Duke's constable, and my name is Elbo I do lean upon justice, sir, and do bring in here before your good honor two notorious benefactors.
1: Benefactors? Well... What benefactors are they? Are they not malefactors?
0: If it please, your honor, I know not well what they are, but precise villains they are, that I am sure of, and void of all profanation in the world that good Christians ought to have. Hmm.
1: This comes off well. Here's a wise officer. Go to! What quality are they they of? Elbow is your name? Why dost thou not speak, Elbow? He cannot, sir. He's out at Elbow. Womp womp. Thanks, Pompey. What are you, sir? He,
0: sir, a tapster, sir, parcel bod, one that serves a bad woman, whose house, sir, was, as they say, plucked down in the suburbs, and now she professes a hothouse, which I think is a very ill house, too. How know you that? My wife, sir, whom I detest before heaven and your honor. Oh, that's interesting. My text says before God and your honor. Anyway, how, thy wife? I, sir, whom I thank heaven, is an honest woman.
1: Dost thou detest her therefore
0: i say sir i will detest myself also as well as she that this house if it be not a bod's house it is a pity of her life for it is a naughty house
1: i don't think we really yeah et cetera, et cetera it goes on and on and on and on it's very very funny it it is it is very silly uh, because we have the two sort of straight man characters of Aeschylus and angelo being like what the fuck is happening uh, and we've got, you know, Pompey making snide comments and Elbow just carrying on as though nothing is wrong at all. He's just trying, he's literally just trying to do his job and therefore he is precious and hilarious. So that is Acrologia, Uh, And you know you're playing a clown or you know you are witnessing some serious early modern clowning if your clown commits these malapropisms. So there it is. A bit of fun rhetoric for you and for my fellow clowns out there. So we're going to dive in. Jess's bag.
0: Yeah, so I saw a real shitty production of *Measure for Measure* this summer, and yes, I'm fucking angry me. about it. Okay. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm angry.
1: Is it the kind of thing I'm, where you want to call out the company at no, which you saw it? No, no, you no, don't no. want to. Okay.
0: It is. It is not. No. Okay. Uh, I went back and forth about it all day today, and talked to some people, and they were like, "Yeah, that's a bad idea." Okay. So we're not going to name and shame. Okay. But I'm angry. I'm really okay. fucking. Angry. Okay, tell us and about it. And this was this was months ago. Now this was I don't know fucking the beginning of June, and okay. I'm still mad. Wow. So take me with I'm you, wife. Gonna, take me I'm with just, you. I'm just gonna take you through my notes here. Oh, yes, I love that you took hate notes and you hate watched it. I did. I did. So um, much. In this I, I want to preface this with. Uh, it was a community theater production. So that is the cause for probably all of the ills. <laughs> um, okay. Not, not all, but many. Anyway, in the style of many companies who do this kind of theater, uh, they did like a pre-show set list with the cast and the song leading in to the opening of Measure for Measure was Kiss by Prince.
1: <laughs> You don't have to be beautiful to whatever. Oh, no.
0: Which, my notes say, so fucking inappropriate. And also, the guy who was singing it didn't know the fucking words.
1: And that's just an insult to Prince. Like, how dare you? A little
0: bit. So, that happened. And then the director came out to, like, give a little... Spiel that was mostly just like, hey, if you want to take pictures, do that, and you can tag us in them, and that'll be great. It wasn't like a anything else. Um, but he called Measure for Measure not well known, which certainly it is one of the lesser known, and among the general populace, perhaps. Um, however, it's Shakespeare, so. Mm, And then he, he, he said, he said something about comedy and I really, oh yeah, he was like, it's a problem play because it's a comedy, but it's not funny. And I took issue with that as well, because also this play is fucking hilarious. There are parts that are very, very funny. Yes. And the word comedy in the early modern period did not only signify hilarity. Comedy just kind of meant story or tale. Or
1: everyone lives at the end.
0: Yeah. So, mm, okay. Yep. Now we get to the crux of the thing. Oh, dear. The Duke was regendered. So, a duchess. And I have very strong feelings about regendering. Yes. Very strong, which we don't need to rehash. But it seems to me that I have most often seen it because a company is uncomfortable asking their audience to believe that a female-bodied actor could ever convincingly play a male role, so Mm -hmm. they just regender the character instead of just letting a woman play the part. And the woman who was playing the duchess was bad. Um, Just, like, bad acting, bad text? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, She she played Shylock in their production of Merchant the summer before, which I also had a whole lot of problems with, but that's yes. a separate story for a separate day. So okay. anyway, uh, the Duchess um, was wearing tennis shoes with a pencil skirt,
1: which is a is a look. <laughs> I think Tan France would have words about that, but that's fine. yeah
0: um, <laughs> the the woman playing the Duchess, i suppose it might be worth saying uh is a white woman in her late 50s to mid 60s somewhere ish. okay um she was the oldest person on that stage by at least 15 years okay so there's that okay uh then my next note is so posy. get the let out <laughs> sure all right
1: i have a lot of feelings that's an insult to shakespeareans everywhere yeah get the lead out people you need to earn those pauses the lead out
0: (laughs) i can't no i'm just that this note will not make any context or any sense in any context to anyone who's not me so i'm gonna skip it um i wrote that the claudio was not bad but very presentational uh also so fucking shouty in all caps Mm. to return to the issue of the duchess when in this play the duke disguises himself as a friar he does so because it wouldn't make sense for him to disguise himself as a nun because he's a dude right sure you're with me on this okay yes so in this production the duchess disguised herself as a friar what so what the fuck is this production saying about gender the answer is they they weren't saying anything about gender because they just didn't fucking think about it. And I'm angry. I'm angry. Then I wrote, Catacrisis is always fucking hilarious. It's Good. Another thing that's going on in that scene with Elbow. Mm. Um, the production cut Froth. What? Uh-huh. Which But I he's was, delightful. Yes. And they still did that whole scene with Aeschylus and Pompey and Elbow. Just, just no froth. No froth. But, like... Which... <sighs> yeah. And then... Okay. Well, I need to go back to the text for this, because... So, you know, at the end of that scene that we were just talking about with Elbow and Pompey and froth and et cetera, et cetera... Yes. Uh, Aeschylus, after everybody's left, Aeschylus says, Come hither to me, Master Tapster. What's your name, Master Tapster? Pompey says, Pompey. uh uh-huh. Aeschylus, what else? Bum, sir. Yeah. Troth, and your bum is the greatest thing about you, so that, in the beastliest sense, you are Pompey the Great. Right. Hilarious it's a, joke.
1: It's a butt joke.
0: Okay. About the dog. Hilarious, badonka hilarious joke. Yeah. This goddamn fucking production walked all the way up to it and stopped at you are, uh, and troth and your bum is the greatest thing about you. Which, like, why do all that fucking setup for a joke that you're not going to fucking say?
1: That's annoying.
0: Right? And, like, maybe it was just a dropped line, but it did not seem like a dropped line. So I'm angry. Hmm. I that's wrote, like not Cut. letting someone
1: finish. That's so rude. Um, <laughs> <girl>.
0: <laughs> but I mean, right. it's the
1: same way with comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and Sorry. then I wrote, frankly, the most interesting drama that's happening in this theater right now is watching the people sitting behind the grandparents who keep taking pictures, but don't know how to silence their phones. <laughs> So the pictures kept going, like, making the camera shutter sound on full oh, volume no. because they were grandparents. So their full volume is always at full volume. And there were, like, five, like, teenagers sitting right behind them who were clearly friends with uh, maybe the girl who was playing Isabella. I'm not sure. Okay. It doesn't matter. And they were losing their goddamn minds. And they were so fucking annoyed. And I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to see these people throw down with these old people. <laughs> do 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 Oh, Okay, You want to get angry some more? Get angry with me. So, you know, you know, the uh, the scene in which Angelo threatens Isabella. It has often been referred to as the rape scene, even though no rape Uh, is actually familiar. But that scene, the assault scene. Yes. Was bookended coming in. And going out with a random musical break. Do you want to know the song? You want to know the song. The song was an acoustic guitar version of I Put a Spell on You. What? Join me in my rage, why don't you? (laughs) So motherfucking inappropriate. What? Because what the fuck are you then saying about who did what to who? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Did a man direct this? Uh-huh. Okay. We're going to circle back to the director's note because, whoa, fuck me. Uh, Angelo is so shouty.
1: Well, and you know, then... the only way you can express emotion is by shouting it, Jess. I yeah. don't know if you knew that.
0: Yep. I wrote, weird cut, whose play is this? Whose story are we telling? Because in the middle of act three I still didn't know whose story I was supposed to like is this Angelo or Isabella or the Duke like who mm. who am I supposed to care about here Yeah, I don't I don't know um, blocking in the assault scene as though Isabella is chasing Angelo around the stage and he's scared of her which is a weird choice since he's clearly the aggressor throughout wow and then Isabella's skirt is see through under the stage lights Awesome. Uh,
1: okay, I should find this line, too. That is so irritating. I would just like to take this moment to let our listeners know <laughs> that, you know, if you're not in uh, the theater-making world, let me, let me drop some knowledge on you right now about theater, which is that everything on the stage reads and has meaning to your audience, whether you want it to or not. So it is your responsibility to take care of them and try to make a little bit of meaning out of it yourself first mm-hmm. to ensure that they get the meaning you're trying to get across because if not they're just mm-hmm. going to pull all kinds of shit out of it or they're going to be horribly confused or angry and yeah. then you might end up like perpetrating rape culture when you may not even want to or girl, mean to girl, but you just did
0: girl let me take you there okay so
1: that was uh, your the, public service announcement. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Good. Okay, that's good.
0: At the end of the assault scene, Angelo has this little speech: "Who will believe the Isabel?" Right, right, right. Super famous. And in that speech, he says the line: "I have begun, and now I give my sensual race the reign." In this production, yes. Angelo took that line to the goddamn audience as if. We were on his side Ew That would it have made me feel so icky fucking weird It's a goddamn weird choice They uh, didn't regender Angelo too did they? No 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 okay. no Only the Duchess Okay weird um, Butt crack, Claudio's butt crack Oh I saw no. Claudio's butt crack Why does a nun have her nails painted?
1: Um, Nuns can have their <laughs> nails painted I mean it depends on what order you're from But okay
0: in in Shakespeare's Order of Nuns?
1: Sure. I mean, were they doing this early modern? Was the rest of this? No. Okay, well then. But still.
0: Um, then, so you know the, the woman who we meet in Act 4 who was uh, Angelo's betrothed before... Yes, like, Mariana. Yes. Yeah. Mariana.
1: In this production, they called her Mariana. Oh, no. That's so Southern. No offense to the South, but a little bit of shade to the South. It's Mariana. And then... <laughs> and
0: then you know, you know how um, Act Five of this play, and kind of the whole play, hinges on the bed trick. Yes. So the Duchess slash Friar sets up the bed trick. She's like, "Hey, Isabella and Mariana, here's what we're gonna do," and the reaction from Isabella and Mariana was like sheer joy. Which is weird. Like,
1: hooray, we're gonna put yeah. you in my place and you can yeah. have sex!
0: Yay! It was fucking weird. Okay. Uh, and then again, I wrote, literally nothing about the friar is regendered, so what actually are we saying about gender in this fucking production? Four question marks. Oh, God. And then in all caps, why don't we think things through? Three question marks. Uh, okay, and then, so the lines... About at the end of that scene where we're setting up the bed trick. So the the Duke, as the friar says, nor gentle daughter, fear you not at all. He is your husband on a pre-contract to bring you thus together. tis no sin, etc." Sure. Which is important information for yes. everyone to have both in the play and in the audience.
1: Yes. It's that why they speech. it's why they feel they're justified in doing what they're doing.
0: That speech was a soliloquy. Because Mariana and Isabella had left the stage. What? And she took it to the goddamn
1: audience. What? <laughs> which the, the fuck? That completely compromises Isabella's virtuousness. Uh-huh. Which uh, I uh-huh. get annoyed by Isabella, but okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh wow. so moving on. Wow. Moving on. <laughs> So we have cut froth. They also cut barnadine, which is a confusing (gasps) choice and a goddamn shame, but they left in pompey's bullshit audience contact scene oh, which is not funny yes, and makes no sense no it's not it's great it's like he's the like goddamn porter
1: it's not funny no but it's not Pompey funny does a thing where he's like I'm, i know these people you guys were in you guys were in my whorehouse and now you're in jail yes. with me But oh, like, come on that's funny no i'm not
0: into it and also why would you keep that but cut froth and barnadine
1: i mean that's not a good decision Okay. I say keep them all because I like that little speech from sure. Poppy, but well, it's fine. I have feelings.
0: Um, moving on, the friar slash duchess gives nothing to the audience to explain her actions, which is fucking weird. So like the the play itself sort of gives the Duke a lot of soliloquies to be right. like, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sure. Not in this John. That didn't, that wasn't a thing. Okay. I felt like I spent a lot of the production backfilling knowledge that I had of knowing this play so well. In the final scene, Act 5, which is the goddamn crux of the whole goddamn play. Sure. Pompey and Overdone were just kind of there. they they took seats in the front row of the audience and like heckled. what? Uh-huh. It's a weird fucking Why? choice. Because they were the only two actors who weren't actually on stage for that scene and, like, didn't want to be left out is what I'm guessing. So they invented (gasps) reasons to be on stage. Wow. Okay. And then I wrote Duchess is not equal to Duke and Sir is not equal to Lady for meter. Which is, like, (laughs) my pet peeve. And then I fixed it in my notes. I was like, there are ways to do it. Here's how you do it. Lots of scenery chewing. Mm. And then... Are you ready to be angry again? Is this about the proposals? Yep. Oh, God. Okay. So, 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 um, you know, and our listeners probably also know that, like, the whole thing, the reason. Perhaps that this play is a problem play is because of the Duke's proposal to Isabella at the end and that she doesn't get a response, right? That's a problem that a production needs to make a fucking choice about. He even says it twice.
1: uh He does it twice and she doesn't respond twice. Yeah.
0: Yep. So i was like all right so we've got a duchess so we're queering this play which i'm kind of here for minus all of the other problems with gender that is happening in that it's a duchess who then disguises herself as a friar so she's cross-dressing it's like a whole thing so they walk all the way up to the proposal uh so the duke says he he They reveal that Claudio is still alive, Isabella's brother. And the Duke says to Isabella, if he be like your brother for his sake, is he pardoned? And for your lovely sake, give me your hand and say you will be mine. He is my brother, too. Yeah, that is the line. Yeah. This production said, if he be like your brother for his sake, is he pardoned? He is my brother, too. Skipped the proposal. Sure. Which then makes the entire play. Not fucking make sense. Like, whose story is this? What are we doing? Why do we care about these characters? What was
1: the goddamn
0: point? Oh, and then at the very, very end, they kept the what's mine is yours, and what is yours is mine line.
1: hmm I'm not surprised. But
0: skipped the goddamn proposal. Which <sighs> <sighs> I'm angry. So now let me, let me read the director's note, or at least part of the director's note. It wasn't long.
1: Okay.
0: Um, because it's fucking maddening. Uh, so it starts with a quote from the play, which has a typo in it. So that's a thing. <laughs> and then this is the first uh, paragraph. It's not a long note. Corruption power, and sexual assault by the powerful and well-heeled. Over 400 years ago, Shakespeare penned this play, and it reads like this morning's newspaper or our social media's hashtag MeToo movement. It is rape if someone threatens another or someone in their family with grievous bodily harm or even death, leaving the victim with no voice. No. No! Categorically not rape. Yep. That is not Rape. Threatening someone
1: is not rape. Sure, it's coercion. It's some other legal term that you can, like, be penalized for threatening somebody. Yeah, it's not great. Intimidation, yeah.
0: But it's not rape. Right. And I am furious that that got into print. That more or less ends my rant in case you're wondering yes this play was directed by an old
1: white man. Yeah, also not surprising.
0: No, I mean not
1: surprising. No. Um I'm I'm I'm
0: furious. Uh and at some point this season I will talk about the same company's production of Comedy of Errors that made me even angrier than this one did. Ooh. Yeah. I have several times started a letter to the director and the producer of both shows and I I still have not completed it because I'm so angry (laughs) I'm just I'm so angry that I can't sit with it for more than five minutes so anyway uh, that was my horrific measure for measure experience in which
1: choices were made and they were all
0: categorically bad I feel like this entire
1: episode is going to be a greatest hits of choices were made just for measure for measure yeah so um,
0: tell me, tell me about the production that you yeah. saw that was a well,
1: lot
0: On the other horrific. hand,
1: I, on the other hand, um, had the honor and the pleasure of watching, uh, campers this summer handle this very heavy and weird and dark, um, and weirdly funny material, very responsibly on the other hand. Uh, and it was, uh, a, so our, uh, American Shakespeare center theater camp first session, um, Every every summer there are two sessions, and each, in each session there are three shows. Uh, so for our 30-ish something campers to do, so they're split into three groups. Uh, so this was a one-hour cut of Measure for Measure, which BT dubs pretty much anything is great. <laughs> if you get it cut down to one hour, if it's a good cut, um, you really don't need much more than that to get the gist. It was directed by Emily McLeod. Emily has been, she was a, uh, you know worked with the camp previously but she is a soon to be uh ph she's a phd candidate at george washington university and she's incredible and she's come back to direct for camp for several years um this year she directed measure for measure and uh the campers were ages you know 13 to 18 um we had in that session a really strong angelo and isabella both veteran campers, returning campers, they both took those scenes really, really seriously. Uh, Like to the point, you know, they were like really thinking about it, wrestling with it, playing with staging the scene, diving into the text and the rhetoric and, and really figuring out how, how these two people are, are interacting with each other. Um, and, and really, I want to commend the the young man who played Angelo because um, he was scared to do the part. He was scared that nobody was going to like him for the for playing that part, um, as teenagers are, you know, because it's like they think, you know, the part is you, and it's totally not, you know, which led to fruitful conversations outside of the rehearsal room about, like, these characters are not real, and you're playing them, but you, you have to detach, you know what I mean? Um, but he... Uh you know, they those campers, since they knew each other, they were able to work really well and it was not staged to where one was pursuing the other actively, like trying to trap them on stage. So so like I, I was really proud of them for that. Also, I don't know who did this, whether it was Emily or whether it was our camper playing Isabella, um, who recently, she graduated from camp this year. This was her last summer. So she was a more mature, uh, young woman. Um, but she, uh, this incredible joke for Isabel, which I've never seen played before. And it slays me. Okay. So let me walk you through it. Um, you know, the very first time we are introduced to Isabella, she's she's a novitiate nun, right? And she's being taken on a tour, I guess, of her convent, right? Uh, right before she's supposed to take her vows and, and another nun. And she's like, do you have any more, you know, are there no more constraints on you? Whatever. Uh, and then that's when Lucio knocks on the door, right? Um, so they staged it to where... Isabella is facing downstage, kind of looking around at her convent. Uh, and she, you know, they hear um, there's no knocking. It's just Lucio's voice. So Lucio's like, "Hello, who's within or whatever he says. Isabella holds up her hands like she's totally shocked to hear a voice. And she goes, who calls within? Ah! And she gets to her knees and she's like thinking it's God.
0: That's amazing. <laughs>
1: it was so good. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't know if the, that was Emily's joke, um, or if the camper came up with it, but oh my God, it was hilarious. Um, I've never seen that before. Just, just a tiny bit cheeky about Isabella and her devotion, which is found it very funny. Uh, so like, I, I was just really proud of the way these kids dove straight into the deep and messy end. Um, and they, they decided to handle act five. What was, what of it was left again, one hour cut, um, Emily uh, preserved most of it. You know, she preserved all the fun little side characters, Overdone and Pompey and Froth and Barnadine and Aborson and all those fun characters. Kid playing Pompey, by the way, stole the whole show, like stole the show. Not even a little bit um, shy about saying that, like, we did. I, I did a ton of clown work with her to get her to, like, stop smiling and be sarcastic because she's like this bubbly... Blonde, willowy girl playing Pompey, which was also hilarious. Um, but like they, they were able to let let everybody kind of sit with the awkwardness of that double proposal at the end. Um, and they really they established at the beginning of the production that Isabella was very religious. Like their opening sort of. Um, number of introducing the characters and everything because that's the camp thing like there's got to be a a song for the show and it doesn't matter when it happens in the show but it's got to happen so at the top of this show we see the first person we see is Isabella and she comes out and she's chanting like a church Latin chant right and she's on her knees and she gets surrounded by the rest of the Viennese folks in like raggedy clothes and they're singing a sexy song all around her so like she's very clearly surrounded by all of this right uh and then they took it right back to that at the end of the play and she you know she says nothing uh to both proposals from the duke um and she goes right back to her knees and her chanting and uh She's sort of wary about it and people kind of fade away behind her. And like the last image you see is basically Isabella downstage praying and these two men, you know, the Duke and Angelo kind of over each shoulder upstage of her kind of staring at her. Um, And it was uncomfortable and it was um, but really, really moving. So I'm happy to say that a bunch of teenagers really outdid themselves when I guess some company with adults could not. So there. Um, yeah. Gen-, Gen Z is going to be just fine, y'all, as long as we keep the planet marginally intact for them. Um, the kids are all right. They're okay. Uh, also, extra points to all of them for tackling this some of this really icky stuff in front of their parents, um, which can be uncomfortable. For real. Yeah. Well, for everyone. Even if you're an adult, doing weird stuff on stage in front of your parents is uh, uncomfortable, um, not least of which is this play. So... Uh, and I was going to pull up Emily's director's note to see if we had, like, a counterpoint to to your director's note, just in case. Just raising
0: your voice because if someone is rape. No, it's fucking not.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. It's rude, and it's shouty. It's not rape. I mean, because everybody, everybody is doing Measure for Measure right now, because it is such a Me Too mm. thing, and mm. even Emily references that, you know. But I think it is such a difference to have... To have a woman at the helm of a play like this right now, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's such a big difference. Well, let me just read. Let me see if I can find a good excerpt from her note. Let's see. The gathering prominence of movements like Hashtag Me Too have shed light on what Shakespeare shows us has always been a problem. Measure for Measure has become the show for theaters to program in response to women's accusations against powerful men. And as it often falls out in these plays, it is the women who must forgive the deeds of weak men. Did I mention that it's supposed to be a comedy? Measures notorious status as a, quote, problem play, only makes it the more urgent to stage in this time of cultural reckoning. I feel honored to have been at the helm of such a fierce and talented team. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, They have proved time and again that their bravery, uh, with their bravery, that our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Believe women, believe survivors. Thank you. So even even just in that sort of directorial voice, um, juxtaposed with the one that you just gave us, I think is a huge and telling, very telling uh, difference. Yeah. Put, uh, put so women in charge you, of Thank you, Emily.
0: Things.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Put women you know. of color in charge of things. Put yeah. good
1: people in charge of things. Yeah. And I, I mean, just like, and, and it really it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter how Old or young your cast is, uh, you need to treat the text responsibly, I, I think, and and do know that when you cut a play, you are shaping the story, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just cutting for time, cutting for whatever, right? Because that happens too. But each thing that you cut, you have to be careful about because you really are affecting the voices that play more prominently when you cut lines, Right. You're shaping the narrative. So shape it responsibly, man. Like mm-hmm. th- be aware of what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> I just, you know, I didn't see, obviously I did not see that production with you, but it, like everything you're saying just makes me feel like, you know, I don't have a problem with community theater. I think community theater is a good thing. I think every community needs to tell stories and Agreed. there are people who want to tell them, you know, um, but I do also believe that every, every performance, every play is political. All theater is political. So if you're not intentionally saying something, you're gonna unintentionally endorse something else. Um, silence is complicity. So and often consent uh, in, in instances like that. when you're you know trying to remain neutral or not trying to queer up uh, like why wouldn't you queer the Duchess at that point? Like why wouldn't you? Why? Why? You know what I mean? Like that's crazy. I I know um, I know. It, that I know way you lies know madness. you you sat through it. I've, I've been there for three <sighs> yeah. months. Anyway, well, let's move on. Yes, yeah. to our yeah. much yeah. loved segment of how to grad school.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is a, an intermittent. Uh, Segment that we do in a 201 episodes Mm -hmm. occasionally when Mm -hmm. we have things to talk about Um, because we get the impression that a lot of our listeners are students uh, and there is so much to consider when it comes to choosing grad school and choosing academia and being in grad school and academia and um, it's a conversation that an ongoing conversation that I am having constantly in my own life with my friends and colleagues and random people on the street. I'm like, hello, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Academia? Um, (laughs) So you and I are going to have some conversations about academia. That's what we do here. Um, So, hey, listeners, if you have questions about grad school or academia that you'd like us to tackle, get in touch. Um, We have heard from none of you with suggestions about this thing. So ask us things. (laughs) Yeah. Or otherwise, I'll just keep coming up with shit on my own. Um, So today... This week, uh, we want to talk about starting grad school as a first generation grad student because this afternoon I saw a thread on Twitter about it, and it's very, very good.
1: So I'm mostly oh. just going to read you that Twitter thread. Okay. Um, I mean, we were going to talk about applications generally, so now we're just getting a little more yeah. specific about applying as a first generation uh, no, 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 grad not student. Even not applying. No worries. We will save that other
0: topic for another week. Yeah. I changed it literally in the last five minutes. Great. Okay. Of this thing. So, uh, last August in 2018, um, this woman named Kyla Wazana Tompkins, who's on Twitter at K Wazana, W A Z A N A, tweeted about being a first generation grad school she says i'm thinking of you today here are some things that i wish someone had told me when i started graduate school so i'm just going to read through some of this okay chime in when you have things to chime in great so she starts with every encounter from here on out is a professional encounter be prepared and walk into your classes prepared to act like a future colleague it is your job to show your advisors that that is what you are which like yup yes Yep, that's that's solid advice. Can Um, verify. That is true. At the same time, you are also a student. Find a mentor to whom you can ask the difficult questions. Uh, Sometimes that mentor is another graduate student who is more advanced than you. Look for the person who is willing to admit their defeats who will demystify the process. Solid fucking advice. Find yourself Mm -hmm. that person. Mm -hmm. I like to think that I'm that person in my program, but that might be a little... Self-important or presumptuous? I don't know. But I'm trying to be that person for uh, especially our incoming master students. Tweet the third. Your job is to become bilingual in the process of class and educational transformation while while remaining grounded in the knowledge and experience you bring to your writing and research and teaching. Yes. Mm. You got to learn the system, but also stay true to yourself.
1: That is a really tough line to straddle. So hard.
0: And that's something that I try and fail to do regularly, but I keep trying. And that I think is important. Mm -hmm. Um, Do not be intimidated by how many second generation academics are in your classes. Watch them and learn from their entitlement. Grill them for knowledge. Your graduate colleagues will become a network that supports you throughout your life. Cultivate it. So fucking true. Yes. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. You're, you're, they, yeah. True. I am living proof of that. That is yep. why I have my job. Uh. Yep. That's real. I mean, same. I mean, also, I'm really qualified and I deserved the job. Yes. And I fought too. really hard for it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: also network. Yes. Network. You had a, you had a yes. network that got you there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah moving on have a second plan for your career use the resources of the university to cultivate that second plan whether it be a journalism program a museum a community engagement project or any opportunities to get parallel degrees paid for occupy Mm -hmm. the institution to your own ends that's so smart and so hard but yeah Mm -hmm. while you're at that school fucking make it work for you do it at the same time be an institutional actor and builder show up for talks show up for your cohort and your friends and the people in and outside of your department learn where the money is and put on programming that is meaningful to you and your intellectual communities learn where the money is and put on programming that is meaningful to you and your intellectual communities i mean so smart so so smart make friends with your imposter syndrome Literally make that voice in your head a person whose presence you welcome and utilize. Oh, hey, imposter me. Welcome to the table again. You get five minutes and then I have to get back to work. Again, real fucking smart. Mm. Make your internal imposter the friend who will never let you become mediocre. Make your internal imposter the voice in your head that makes you get outside of your work and hear it from another point of view. (sighs) So good. So, 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 good. Don't complain. Build. When you need something more or better from the institution, research solutions and go in with alternatives to present to people with resources. Then build those solutions. If you can't find resources, co-op and share where you can. When you need something from people with resources, one good way to get those resources is to ask for advice. Everyone loves to give advice and everyone loves to help someone who will do the work but needs their insight. For instance, hey, I was thinking that minority students need someone to come in and talk about the job market from the point of view of someone doing this kind of study. But I'm not sure how to make it happen. I'd be happy to do all of the footwork, but can you help me find the resources? That's so smart. That's very smart. Like, advocate. Advocate for you. Advocate for your cohort. Advocate, advocate, advocate. Find the money and get someone to foot the bill. What I
1: like about that phrasing there, too, is that it takes away the awkwardness of the ask Mm-hmm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. instead of jumping in and being like, hey, can I ask you a favor? Because people yeah. hate favors, especially yeah. like entitled rich people hate favors. This is like a development mindset, too. This is what happens in nonprofit arts development all the time yeah. is you have to find a way to be like, hey, how can you help? Help me help. Please help me. I need your help. Mm-hmm. And your help often is money. But like we don't say it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's a really great phrasing. Like, oh, my God. Put that on a cross stitch and frame it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're
0: sort of winding down now. Um, make sure to master uh-huh. the various modes of academic writing from the email asking for money to the grant application use of, uh, make use of office hours, internal support mechanisms, and senior grad students to master those genres. If that network
1: doesn't exist, build it. Which, I still like, to this day have no idea how to write a grant.
0: i mean, same. Um, but that I think, Think doesn't happen quite as often in the humanities as it might in like True. STEM fields. Right, you're right. So yeah, you know, yeah. This applies to everyone, not just humanities folks, for sure. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Which like, yes. <laughs> if you have children, it's okay if the job you're doing is imperfect. Which like,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Learn I mean, to even skim. if you don't have children, it's okay if the job yeah. you're doing is imperfect.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, This is the one that I want to highlight perhaps the most, and it's specifically for women, queer people, sexually vulnerable people. Develop a network of peers who will give you the institutional skinny on who is safe to work with and who is not. Mm -hmm. Before you commit to working with anyone, ask around carefully, learn about their habits, temperament, and reputation. Find
1: the Whisper Network. Find it. Find it and tap into it.
0: Yes. Without revealing anything had i found that network i could have saved myself a lot of grief this summer the end it's all i'm gonna say about that on the podcast i'm fine everything's fine <laughs> um but and then the final thing uh here is another real thing you will know the people you study and work with for the rest of your life study And understand the strange animal that is academic sociality. You must have networks to flourish and do good work because you need interlocutors. Learn how to give good feedback. Start finding people who will tell you the truth about your work. Do not be afraid of challenging teachers. You want to work with them. You really do.
1: The end. And if they're worth their snuff, they should want to work with you. Yes. They should want to guide you and help you. Yes. And welcome Um, your... Back and forth.
0: Yeah. So again, uh, the the woman who posted this thread is named Kyla Wazana Tompkins. She's on Twitter at k wazana w a z a n a. She is the author of a book called Racial Indigestion, and looks like she's got another book in the works on queer race matter aesthetics and the state and then she lists her pronouns which is my favorite thing uh she her hers and expensive (laughs) (laughs) i would like my pronoun to be expensive please and thank you (laughs) so uh give her a follow she seems like she knows what's up um and also i guess just to add my own nonsense to that academia is hard and you, you gotta find ways to survive um and what has been the best for me is finding a network of students um and recent grads in and around the university of alabama and also on twitter um and they are getting me through so mm-hmm. find your people find your tribe yes and, and they'll well, get you at least halfway there
1: yeah, picking the right program gets you about halfway to finding your tribe, yep. anyhow. If you're lucky. Yeah. Well, I'm glad th- to have that perspective because I am not a first generation graduate student, no. um, and though I did work hard, I did not work hard enough. <laughs> I am a procrastinator. I, I know you are. Cop to that. I'm a horrific, know. horrific procrastinator. No. So. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and even like f-
0: even first generation grad students or even second generation or not first generation grad students um, often don't know all of that. Like, oh, yeah, my father, I think both of my parents had some kind of master's degree, but like but none of that knowledge was transferred to me. I had no. I may as
1: well have been a, a
0: first generation grad student.
1: No, I mean, my grandpa went to law school. My mom and my uncle went to law school because mm-hmm. those are graduate degrees. Yeah, like, sure. are. My, you know, I have many, many members of my family who went on to higher, higher degrees, um, and none of them managed to convey that a lot of that information to me. Find a tribe. Yep. Find that whisper network. Fucking for sure. You. That's that's. I mean, that's just like life experience, though. Uh, like life as a non cisgendered white male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywhere you go, any place you decide to work for or work with. Find your whisper network and, like, Real. scope it out first. Like, that's that's just a fact of life. Moving on to our gossip section. So in 201 episodes, our shakes bubble gossip is play-centric. So these are, these are a bunch of Measure for Measure productions coming your way uh, for the remainder of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. Um, first up, our friends in the UK have way more upcoming productions of Measure for Measure than we do here in North America starting with the Royal Shakespeare Company, uh, the RSC. It's a directed by Gregory Doran. You might know him from other plays that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. He's a very famous director, but it's going on tour. So it's done with its Stratford-upon-Avon branch of the tour, but it will be in Salford, at the Barbican, uh, at the Marlowe Theater in Canterbury. It will be in Plymouth and in Nottingham, uh, and those theaters respectively. it up in Newcastle. And Blackpool, so it's going north, in rep, touring in rep with As You Like It and The Taming of the Shrew through March of 2020. The next production, then, not RSC, would be... Uh, It's at Dundee
0: Repertory Theater in Dundee. Yes. Which is somewhere. (laughs) Um, uh, April to May of 2020.
1: Yeah. And then there's an adaptation... Of Measure for Measure, um, hashtag Everything Is Adaptation, but okay. Uh, at the Forge Theater, abridged and adapted by Peter Schofield, at the Bolton Little Theater in Bolton, uh, from 9 November to 16 November, uh, and then there's a. They gave us a thoughtful little synopsis. Mm, okay, Which is just we don't the plot we don't need that. It's just the measure. plot of Measure for Measure. <laughs> it's fine. What you need to know is that there's a Measure for Measure style adaptation at the Bolton Little Theater. Uh, to from the beginning to mid-November. I'm assuming 2019 or maybe 2020. It, it's not specific. Get on it, touchstone.beham.ac.uk. Good Lord. Oh,
0: all right. Well, if you're in Baltimore, you can see it at CSC in February of
1: 2020. Yep. You can also see it at the Shakespeare Project of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, it's their 2019-2020 season, but they don't give us specific dates and uh i know one a lot there were a lot of measure for measure productions this summer like that passed like the one that you saw sweet tea shakespeare did it a bunch of companies did it already um but if there's anyone that we missed if there's a production upcoming of measure for measure uh at the end of this year towards the end of this year or at the beginning of next year that we've missed please hit us up and let us know and we will uh, shout it out in another episode and correct ourselves so thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. Tune in next week
0: for Tamburlaine the Great, parts one and two, 101.
1: Yes. we going to get Wanda rid of both out. of those parts all at the same time. <laughs> Wham it out. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave us a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes and other fun stuff,
0: you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com.
1: Yeah, get in touch with us. Tell us what you're working on and thinking about. Email us at holla at hurlyburlyshakespearshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The Hurley Burly Shakespeare
0: Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet.
1: All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Because I am just by nature not a hard worker, generally, on a lot of stuff. What? I have Um, no idea. Shut
0: up. That wasn't (laughs) clear to me doing a podcast with you.
1: I work smarter, smarter, not harder. That was a shitty thing to say. Uh, Yeah. I work smarter, not harder. (laughs) And you work fucking
0: hard for us. You do. Yeah. We just don't always start on time every week.